You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Abby. And I'm Sarah. Today we're going to talk about pregnancy. But first, let's catch up on life lately. What is new with you, Abby? I'm actually going to talk about pregnancy now, too. (laughs) Perfect. I have been reflecting on both teaching and taking prenatal yoga classes as a pregnant person. So I think I've mentioned this on the pod before, but Andrew and I are fairly certain that our family will be complete after this baby is born. And so this is feeling like my last experience of teaching Mm -hmm. prenatal yoga as a pregnant person. And I'm just really appreciating the camaraderie with my students and also Mm -hmm. really loving taking prenatal yoga classes and connecting with the other pregnant folks in the class. So that's just something that I've really been appreciating. And I feel really thankful that I'm able to do it financially and that I'm able to do it time-wise. Andrew has been coming home from work a little early on Wednesdays so that I can go to the class that is close to my house. And it is just a really nice thing to do for myself. And I love it. Yeah. Sounds like a lovely experience all around. What is new with you, Sarah? My life lately is also pregnancy related. (laughs) (laughs) In a more tangential way, I want to talk about doing pelvic floor physical therapy. Yes. This is something I heard about for the first time on the Longest Shortest Time podcast Mm -hmm. and had that in my head that it was a thing that was available, but didn't put a lot more thought into it. Mm -hmm. Then recently, I'd been feeling like my pelvic floor is very weak after giving birth to two children, yep, and that it would be a good idea to address that now in my early 30s Mm -hmm. than it would be in 20 or 30 years. Yeah. I hadn't done any kind of physical therapy since I'd had knee surgery, and Mm. I just really love getting specific exercises and having an action plan of things to do and also getting feedback on whether or not you're doing it correctly. Yes. So all of that was really helpful. The physical therapist I saw was lovely. And I'm feeling like I'm on the right track. It's definitely something I would recommend. And I think it's worth looking into if it seems like that might be beneficial. I love that you did this. I have also done pelvic floor PT after Plum was born and had a really similar experience. I was astounded, to be honest, how fast things improved, despite the fact that I was not that compliant with the amount of time and stuff that I was supposed to be doing the exercises. Mm -hmm. Something that felt like the benefits vastly exceeded the time that I put into it. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I will definitely go back to if it is necessary. And I have also heard that people have successfully done pelvic PT during pregnancy to cope with things like pain. Mm, Yes. Definitely highly recommended from my point of view as well. Yeah. If there's anything I would go back and do differently is doing it sooner. Yeah. (laughs) Let's move into what we've been reading. What is your latest book? I recently finished All You Can Ever Know by Nicole Chung, which is a memoir written by a woman with Korean parents who was adopted and raised by white parents in small town Oregon. And she's just a little bit older than us, which I love. I love reading about someone having similar life experiences. Most of all, I loved her perspective on growing up as one of the only Asian Americans in her town and Mm -hmm. what that taught her about race and about her own self-worth and what she has had to unlearn since then. So that's sort of the first part of the book. And then the second part of the book is the story of her reconnecting with her birth family 
And there is a lot of subtlety and gray areas in her story. And she told it Mm. so thoughtfully and so well. I was surprised because this is another book where the narrator is pregnant, (laughs) which I loved, as I've said. And it was a surprise because she's living in North Carolina because her husband is in grad school at UNC Hmm. for the majority of the book. So that was also really close to home. Yep, totally. I think that her voice is really strong throughout. And she just, like I said, does such a great job portraying something really complex and really personal Mm -hmm. in a really lovely way. I would highly recommend this book. And I think it's something that could benefit lots of people to read. Our virtual book club is going to be reading this in a couple months, and I am very much looking forward to it. It'll be a good discussion, I think, for sure. What have you been reading, Sarah? I just finished The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna, and this was very popular a few years ago. So many of our listeners have probably read this one well before I got around to it. Mm -hmm. It is a World War II novel that is set in France and follows two sisters, Vianne and Isabel. They have very different personalities and experiences in childhood because there's a large age gap between them, Mm. and that influences their response to the war and how they take action. Much of the story revolves around that tension in their relationship Mm. and the ways in which they engage in the resistance. I liked learning about different aspects of World War II that I knew little about, most notably how French people helped British and American airmen escape occupied France by crossing over the Pyrenees into Spain Hmm. and the network that was created to facilitate that. In terms of what I don't like, I had a lot of trouble getting into this book, Hmm. much more than I thought based on the reviews. Disappointing. It was. It took me about 200 pages to be truly invested and drawn into the story, which That's is a, a lot long of pages. Time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was committed. It was an emotional read, and I did find myself moved to tears at multiple points, but I'm not sure that it's a story that's going to stay with me. Hmm. So would you recommend it then? I'm not sure that I would. I think I would qualify my thoughts by saying, I appear to be in the minority that most people that read this really love it, Mm. but I felt lukewarm about it. I wonder how much of that is based on my expectations. Mm. I wonder if I didn't go in thinking I was going to love it, if I would be feeling more positively about it. But because the bar was set so high, when that wasn't met, I left feeling underwhelmed. Yeah, that could definitely be that disappointed expectations thing. I would love to hear from listeners that read it if anybody else had a similar experience or Mm. if everyone else really loved it the way that it appears that most of the public does. (laughs) (laughs) Our main segment for today is about pregnancy, which will be a look back for me and a look into your present life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's start by sharing our favorite parts of being pregnant. The first thing that I thought of is the unspoken connections with other pregnant people. So that thing where you make eye contact with another person who is obviously (laughs) pregnant and you both are just sort of like, yep, we know what you're going through, at least to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. I remember right after I had Plum, I went to the grocery store or something without her for the first time. And I tried to make knowing eye contact with another pregnant person. And she had no idea what I meant because I didn't look... (laughs) you know, as pregnant anymore. And I didn't have my baby right there either. So Mm -hmm. that's something that I remember 
feeling the lack of mm. when I was no longer pregnant the last time. So I've really been cherishing it this time. And it's a lot of what makes prenatal yoga so nice are those unspoken connections. I also love that feeling of it being this very private experience, but at the same time, it's connecting me with all other women who have experienced pregnancy before. Right. And there's this duality to it that felt really unique and special doesn't feel like it quite captures the essence of it. It feels a little trivial, but I'm not sure I have a better word to describe that tension. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. And on the private side of that, I loved feeling movement and mm-hmm. having that be a connection I felt with my child that mm-hmm. obviously other people could put their hand on my body if I allowed it <laughs> to potentially also feel that. But it was this constant reminder of what I was experiencing and that there was a human person inside my body. I loved it. I love that part of it, too. And it's so interesting because the experience is really different this time. With Plum, my placenta was in the front. Hmm. And so it took much longer to feel movement. But with this baby, it's in a different place. Mm -hmm. And so I have felt a lot more movement. And also this baby just might move more. And you know more what you're looking for. I yes. felt the first time that there probably was movement before I realized it was movement. Right. Where the second time I knew what that was. Yeah, what to expect. That's definitely true. It is such a fun and special thing to share that with your baby before they're born. Another favorite thing that I have had with both my pregnancies is being surprised by the sex of the baby. We didn't find out with Plum, and it led to this really special moment after she was born of Andrew announcing to me that we had a daughter, Mm. which was so wonderful. And I was willing to find out this time, but he was like, no, I want to have that role again. Yeah, (laughs) There's something about movement and sort of feeling that your baby is there and that they're a person. Mm -hmm. But then when they actually come out, knowing so much more about who they are, not just the sex, but them being physically there, Mm -hmm. that is really wonderful. And a surprise that I don't know that I've experienced anything like elsewhere in my life. Yes, I agree. We also did not find out either time. And I'm not usually one in favor of delayed gratification. (laughs) That isn't my strong suit in life, but it felt so worth it, that moment of finding out as I was meeting my child. Because, of course, it's a surprise when you find out while you're pregnant, too. It's not as though there isn't that moment of surprise, but it felt different. I would absolutely make that choice again. And I know folks who have felt more connected Mm. once they found out and felt like they could have a better connection to their child during pregnancy. Mm Mm-hmm. But I really loved not having that information. And I think so much of our society puts a lot of emphasis on gender and attributing characteristics based on one's genitals. Yeah, totally. (laughs) I liked that I couldn't do that before birth and that society couldn't either. Mm -hmm. And that's not something they experience ever again. So true. So that's what we loved. What about the parts of pregnancy that are most challenging to you? We talked earlier about the sort of big dichotomy between this private individual experience and the public perception of that experience. Mm -hmm. And I think because I was more out in the world when I was pregnant with Plum, I was bus commuting 
I was seeing people that I didn't know more. I really struggled with people's need to comment both on my pregnancy and on my body and how it was changing Mm -hmm. so much during my first pregnancy. And I think my life is more sheltered now. We're home a lot more. A lot of the things that people say now are too plum and about Mm. her role in the situation, which to be honest, has taken some of the heat off me. I don't know that it's a good thing for her necessarily in terms of adjusting to future siblinghood, but it does mean that people say fewer pointed things about my body and the size of it and what they decree that it means for Mm -hmm. my life. And that part I really struggled with during my first pregnancy. Yes. The flip side to feeling that broader connection is that people often see pregnancy as an invitation to approach somebody and that the normal rules of social engagement and boundaries be ignored. Right. Yes. And as a strong introvert, I found that incredibly challenging, that I wanted to feel connected in the sense that I know lots of other people have been pregnant before and will be pregnant after me, I didn't actually want to talk to people about my experience when I was walking down the street or riding the bus or in the grocery store. And it felt like a lot of control was taken away from me when I was out in public situations, and I did not like that. And I think not just in public, but even in intimate relationships, there's this shift from who I am to who I am, and also I'm a vessel for this future person. Right. And how those lines blurred for me was really hard. Yes, because people are scrutinizing the choices that you make because it's not just about you now. It's also about your unborn child. Yep. And that can feel oppressive. Absolutely. On the physical side, I have talked some about this on the pod, but with both my pregnancies, I've been really nauseated and puked a lot early on. And then... In the later half of pregnancy, which I think I've noticed more this second time, is the difficulty of doing things that are easy for me when I'm not pregnant. Hmm. Like the shoes. Yeah, like really feeling frustrated about not being able to tie my (laughs) shoes to the point where I buy new shoes. (laughs) And I think the silver lining to this is that it really makes me appreciate my physical body and Mm. how much I am capable of while I'm not pregnant. Mm -hmm. But the other side is that living with this for, you know, the duration that we do to grow a human child can be really frustrating. Absolutely. I was also sick in the first trimester. I think not as much or as long as you were, but it was still miserable for me while it lasted. Totally. (laughs) Food is such an important part of my life, Mm. as it is for everyone, but because I love the experience of eating and thinking about food and thinking about what I'm going to cook and what I'm going to eat next and how it's going to taste and then enjoying it, that was all taken away for months at a time. Mm-hmm. And I hated it. There's right. no other way to frame that. I remember having the thought, this baby better be worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I've also had that thought. They both were, of course. Right. <laughs> The other physical symptom that was most challenging for me was sleeping near the Mm. end. I really prefer sleeping on my stomach. Same. I really don't like sleeping on my side or my back. And that obviously becomes a big challenge (laughs) as time goes on in pregnancy. Yep. And sleeping on my side, my hips would just hurt so much. I remember waking up every half hour and having to switch sides or move and just Mm. feeling like even though I knew I was going to be awake with a newborn at all hours, that my sleep 
would improve over those last weeks of pregnancy. And yeah. I think that was accurate. Yeah, same. I mean, I definitely have told people in my prenatal yoga class who are talking about not being able to rest that even if your sleep is more broken after the baby's there, the sleep you do get will feel better mm -hmm. <laughs> because you'll have so much more freedom in your physical body to feel better in whatever position you want to be in for sleep. So true. Have you found any noticeable differences between pregnancy the first and second time around? I've definitely felt bigger and slower and more fatigued this time. And I think earlier in the pregnancy, I've had more aches and pains throughout. With Plum, I never felt done with being pregnant. I expected to be pregnant much longer than I was because she was born at 38 weeks, but I've already felt done with being pregnant and I'm only 31 weeks as we're recording this. <laughs> so it's been a little different. Mm -hmm. What about you? I think my response to being pregnant is what I think of as being most different. That the first time I was really adamant that I wanted to keep doing all the things I did before and mm. didn't want to acknowledge that there were any limitations on my physical body mm. or that I was somehow unable to do something that I was able to do a week or two or months beforehand. Where the second time I felt more willing to slow down and I still biked through both pregnancies, but biking slower, biking less far, choosing to walk places, choosing to say, I'm just not going out today, or I'm going to take the bus because I feel tired. Yeah. Where I think the first time I felt more like I somehow needed to prove that pregnancy didn't affect me, which is mm. so silly looking back on it, but also very real about how I felt. Mm. I think I felt really vulnerable to acknowledge that I wasn't able to do everything. Yeah. Where the second time, somehow that came easier. I mean, vulnerability is a practice, right? And it's pregnancy, having a young baby, there's all kinds of vulnerability. So mm -hmm. you'd had a lot of practice at doing it already. Yes. I think both the first pregnancy and parenthood forced me to recognize a lot of limitations in my life, both <laughs> physical and otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> Let's dive in more to our experience with food in pregnancy. What are the foods you craved and any food aversions you had? I eat so much sugar when I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Both pregnancies. And I have no regrets about it. <laughs> <laughs> what were your cravings? The one that I remember most specifically was frozen blueberries. Mm. That when I felt sick with HP was one of the few things that seemed appetizing. Hmm. There are other random things I remember, like wanting to eat an entire package of tofu cooked with soy sauce and oil on my stovetop, but then <laughs> I would eat that and it was amazing, but then not want it again for the entire rest of my pregnancy and actually would look back and think, I can't believe I ate that. That sounds so disgusting to me now. <laughs> That's so funny. The idea of like the one hit wonder food wise. Yes. As for aversions vegetables were the thing that were most disgusting to me when I felt sick in the first trimester. Mm. And I think that's a really common one, that eating simple carbs or sugary things seems palatable in a way that kale does not when you feel nauseous. <laughs> yeah, for me, my main aversion was anything that involved a lot of chewing. Mm. So kale definitely couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. But for me, meat was a really big one where I didn't even really have a problem with the idea of preparing it, but it was something about the idea of the texture of chewing it 
was totally untenable. There was no way Uh that was going to happen. And so basically, I ate baked potatoes (laughs) for months. And so did my family and pasta. Because like you said, the simple carbs were the way to go. Yep. Did you have any splurges or ways to treat yourself in pregnancy? As we know, I love to treat myself. (laughs) So (laughs) the answer to this question is a resounding yes. (laughs) I really enjoyed buying maternity clothes during my first pregnancy. Because of the timing of my pregnancies, I've been able to rewear most of them. Mm -hmm. So I haven't done that as much. I also splurged on a lot of self-care things. Like I've gone to the chiropractor during both my pregnancies when that's not something that is even that appealing when I'm not pregnant for some reason, but it feels really great in my body when I am. I've done lots of acupuncture and then we have hired a doula Mm -hmm. for this pregnancy and we also did in the first one, which is a splurge and one that has felt well worth it. Mm -hmm. This specific pregnancy, I've treated myself even more because I'm pretty (laughs) sure it's the last one. And so I think I mentioned my pregnancy underwear already, Mm -hmm. still loving them. And I also have a special pregnancy pillow this time that's small and wedge-shaped. I tried a hand-me-down big pillow last Mm -hmm. time that did not work for me, so I just handed it to someone else. But I love the little wedge this time. I stick it under my hip and belly, and it really helps with the hips aching when you're sleeping Mm -hmm. on your side because I'm also a belly sleeper. And then our final splurge of this pregnancy, which I'm very excited about, is that we have hired a photographer to do professional newborn photos Mm. of our family. So once we come home with the baby within the first couple weeks, we will have this photographer come to our house and take pictures of all of us together. And I am very excited about that. Very cool. What are your splurges, Sarah? I know splurging is a little harder for you than it is for me. (laughs) But on brand. I love to splurge on food, and oh, of course, we don't eat out very often. But when I was pregnant with E, I just bought tacos all the time mm, in Austin. Awesome, multiple times a week. And part of it was that I was just hungry all the time towards the end. But then you fill up much faster. Oh sure, I'd eat breakfast, but then we'd leave the house and we'd be out at a park or doing something for a while, and often on the way. We haven't even made it to the destination and spent hours there, but I'm just thinking I'm going to be so hungry. I'm going to be so sad when I'm hungry, which is very true in my life, pregnant (laughs) or not. And then I just think I should buy myself some tacos. So I would. They were delicious. No regrets. (laughs) (laughs) The one splurge I wish I would have done is get a pregnancy pillow because I had so much trouble sleeping and I think that would have helped. I don't Mm. know that it would have alleviated all of the pain and discomfort I was feeling. I did have a setup with many large pillows that I arranged in specific ways that seemed to help some, but I think it would have been simpler and more comfortable and worth the investment if I had splurged on something designed for pregnancy. Mm. Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) There are many pregnancy rules and guidelines. Are there any of those that you found particularly difficult to follow or that you blatantly ignored? I wouldn't say that I find any of them particularly difficult to follow, but I definitely do prioritize some over others Mm -hmm. (laughs) depending on convenience and my desires at the moment. So one that I haven't worried about much at all is runny eggs. I still eat cookie dough while I'm pregnant. Mm -hmm. I made chocolate mousse with egg whites (laughs) the other day. 
I regularly eat fried eggs because I don't like hard-cooked yolks. Same. And while this isn't something I've done a lot, I haven't worried about it when I have. So I was at a party and the main food was sushi, including raw fish sushi. So I mostly ate shrimp and veggies and things that were Mm -hmm. cooked or, you know, in the case of veggies, it didn't matter that they were raw. (laughs) But I also ate some spicy tuna and uncooked salmon and felt just fine about it. And then I have also had the occasional boozy drink while pregnant, including over Christmas when I enjoyed some whiskey in my hot chocolate. And I have no regrets. (laughs) (laughs) What about you and pregnancy rules, friend? I'm on the same page with you. Re-eggs. Definitely had runny slash raw eggs in pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Same with unpasteurized cheese. I love a good cheese and felt like the risk there was fairly minimal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't have any booze in my pregnancy, but towards the end, I remember craving a margarita on the rocks with Mm. salt so much. Ooh, I could go for that right now. (laughs) (laughs) And I was very overdue with HP in the summer in Austin, Mm. so it just sounded so refreshing. (laughs) (laughs) You've already confirmed that you're expecting this will be your last pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Are you feeling sadness or wistfulness with that? Or are you mostly looking forward to being done? There is definitely some sadness there. And I think that I'll feel more about that as I have more distance from the experience. Mm -hmm. I think I I will feel more wistful later on, probably. Mm -hmm. It's hard to feel wistful when you're in it. (laughs) Yeah. I am not missing being pregnant right now because I am. (laughs) So... It's mostly relief and satisfaction that I anticipate feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm looking forward to that. I do think that it will come in as this baby hits milestones. I think one of the most fun things that we did during Plum's first year was take the 38 weeks in, 38 weeks out picture. So there was a picture of me the day mm-hmm. I went into labor. Mm-hmm. And then when she was 38 weeks old, we took a similar picture with her on my hip. And I think it's sort of moments and milestones like that where I'll look back and have big feelings about it. And also probably teaching prenatal yoga, Mm, which is something that I hope to continue to do in the future. And like I said, experiencing a prenatal yoga class while pregnant is just really different than doing it when you're not. Yeah. What about you, Sarah? How are you feeling about pregnancy, future and past? There are parts that I look back on with fondness and a kind of tenderness, but I don't wish to go back and I don't wish to be pregnant. I don't feel like I was miserable, but I also Mm -hmm. wasn't one of those people who just loved being pregnant. Right. And I think I feel about it the way that I feel about parenting in general, which is trying to enjoy the experience and be present as much as possible, giving myself grace when I'm unable to do that for whatever reason. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I can look back and say, I enjoyed it while I could and be content with where I am in my life. Mm, Yeah. Let's end by sharing some of our favorite pregnancy resources. Both of mine are books. The first is Mindful Birthing by Nancy Bardak. And she's a certified nurse midwife who has adapted the mindfulness practices that Jon Kabat-Zinn has made pretty famous Mm, for pregnant people, and early parenting. Mm. So she's written a whole book about it, which is a wonderful book. It's great on audiobook. This is a text that we use in the childbirth class that I Mm. teach. Mm -hmm. So this is one of our recommended readings for them. 
There are also mindfulness-based childbirth education classes that you can take that are intense and long, which I have never done. And it's something I might have considered if it had been around for my first pregnancy, but it's just not something that made sense time-wise for us this time. But what I have done this time and did with my first pregnancy is streamed from Amazon the meditations, the mindfulness meditations Mm -hmm. that are available as an audio companion to this book. So it's her leading you through loving kindness meditation or leading you through Mm -hmm. walking meditation, but specific language for pregnant folks. And it is really wonderful. And if you have Amazon Prime, you can stream those for free, but you can also purchase the audio companion Mm -hmm. if you just are interested in listening. So that book and the audio that goes with it. Fantastic. Love it. My favorite thing. Yeah. I wish that that is something I used when I was pregnant. I think it probably wasn't around then because Mm -hmm. I think the book had just come out when I was pregnant with Plum. So it was just a timing. But future pregnant folks, it's available to you now. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And the other book I wanted to recommend is called Expecting Better by Emily Oster. And Emily Oster is a behavioral economist. And so she basically goes through what all the research says about pregnancy and the rules that people expect pregnant people to follow Mm -hmm. and presents evidence so that you can read it and weigh yourself about whether it's a rule that you want to follow. Fascinating. Yes, it is fascinating. And it's one of my favorite types of nonfiction in that her personal experience of her pregnancy Mm -hmm. is woven together with all of the evidence and research. Yes. I love how you are describing it as giving pregnant people the agency and the assumption that they're able to make the choices that are best for them. Yes. And I think that's one thing I found really challenging in pregnancy was feeling that everybody wanted to tell me what I should or shouldn't be doing, Mm -hmm. both in the general public, but also in the medical community and people who have an expertise. And while I respect and appreciate the expertise, sometimes I felt like my voice was lost in that. Mm. And it sounds like through this book, a regaining of that agency. Yes, absolutely. And so some of my favorite parts talk about the food rules. Mm -hmm. in this book (laughs) and about things like scooping the cat litter box and alcohol. Right. And so you can read the evidence for yourself and weigh to what degree it makes sense for you to go with the sort of hard and fast rule or to be a little more nuanced about how you interpret it. Mm -hmm. What are your favorite pregnancy resources, Sarah? You've already talked about this in the episode, but I loved prenatal yoga for all the reasons you said. I loved Being in a place where I could be on the mat and focused on myself, but be with other people having a similar experience. Mm -hmm. And it felt like a really safe place to experience that without the expectations that were always there being out in public. I also loved the podcast, The Longest Shortest Time. So good. That's when I actually discovered right after giving birth. So maybe this is more of a listening to this in my ears when I was up at all hours of the night Mm. with E. And Mm -hmm. I loved hearing the poignant stories of other people in early parenthood and pregnancy at a time that can feel isolating and lonely made me feel more connected. Yeah, that podcast is really wonderful. And I have the podcast to thank for my beloved Facebook mom community, Mm. which is an offshoot group from the pregnancy group of Longest Shortest Time listeners. Mm -hmm. And it's where I heard about the pelvic PT. 
they can be a sponsor of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's all we have to say today about pregnancy. But as always, listeners, we'd love to hear from you. Let's end by sharing something we've been eating. I want to talk about a pizza crust that I tried for the first time this week. Yum. I had been planning to have pizza. We'd had some leftover sausage and we had some feta cheese and then the fresh mozzarella was on sale. And I thought, perfect. One weekend night, we'll have pizza for dinner. Did not realize we did not have yeast to make the pizza crust until I was going (laughs) to make the pizza crust. (laughs) Had zero interest in making a quick trip to the store for that. So decided instead to consult Google and type in no yeast pizza crust. Perfect. Fortunately, that's a thing. (laughs) (laughs) The recipe that I found uses baking powder, which turns out we were also out of, but that I just went to my neighbor's house and borrowed a teaspoon. (laughs) Fair. And it has baking powder, butter, milk, and salt. You just mix it up and you can start making the pizzas right away. There's no rise time. Nice. I will say I didn't love the crust as much as I love a yeasty pizza crust, but I'm really glad to have this in my back pocket for when we want to have pizza quickly (laughs) or when we are out of yeast. One recipe that I found, you pre-bake the crust and then put Mm. toppings on and bake it more. But this one that I found said I didn't have to do that, which I loved, so opted not to. I think it would have been smarter to do it. It was really crispy on the bottom and edges, but was a little bit doughy on the top, Mm. which I think a pre-bake would have eliminated. So while this won't be my go-to, it definitely saved the day this weekend. Nice. What have you been eating? I've been eating chili nachos. Mm. I got this genius idea from my cousins after Christmas when we were with them. Andrew and I cooked a huge batch of chili to feed the whole family, and then there was tons left over. Mm Mm-hmm. And my cousins love chips and cheese, so chips, shredded cheese on top, melted in the microwave is a classic family food that we all eat when we get together. And I think probably people eat it on their own as well. I mean, we sure do, but it's definitely a food fixture in my Mm -hmm. memories of being with my family. But somebody, I have no idea who it was, had the genius to put the chili on the chips and then put Mm. the shredded cheese on top. Mm Mm-hmm. So we did that then over Christmas, and we just made chili again, and so we've been having it at our house, and Plum is super into it, which is awesome. (laughs) But I find it a really good way to use up leftover chili that Mm -hmm. feels a little fresher than just eating it again. Yes. I texted you this weekend because I had heard tale of these chili nachos. Oh, yeah. We had some leftover chili that I needed to use up, and it was delicious and satisfying. I can confirm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Sarah, and with all of you listeners. You can find us on our website, friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or email us, friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. We'll see what of that I can keep. Whatever. Moving on. It's okay. I'm at it again. There will be plenty of good and stuff so in there. Yeah. <laughs> plenty of both. It'll be great. Which is a big milestone. I'm sorry, the cat. No, I hear. I hear the cat. I usually don't hear it when you say it, but I can hear it this time. Scratchy scratch. Who knows what she's going to do?
Yeah, she's going to start scratching in again in just a minute. I'll talk fast. 